Anybody who fills out a form is not a lead. I've been fighting this battle for, I don't know, over a decade, right? They just want the information. They're not saying, please have your salespeople chase me to death and whatever. And this is why it's up to, I think, 73% now buyers say, we don't want to talk to your salespeople. Keep them away from us. We just want to educate ourselves. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Adat Albi, CEO and B2B Marketing Strategies at Marketing Interactions, and a renowned marketing thought leader. We will discuss getting more marketing sales with the power of buyer enablement. Yes, I know, marketing sales. But what you need to focus on is buyer enablement. Are you ready? Let's get it. Adat, how are you? Welcome. I'm great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's an incredible honor having you. You have been an inspiration to marketing leaders like ourselves in the past decades. I've been in the business 13 years and I owe my successes to people like you. If you have to be a self-taught digital marketer, you need to go to people like you. So it's been great. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? I would assume that there are just a few people that don't know you, but for those who don't, what has been your background in marketing and your role? Well, actually, I'm a self-taught marketer too. Think back to the year 2000, I joined a startup tech company that was building a platform to help marketers manage their websites and do it all themselves, right? And back in the year 2000, that didn't exist yet. I think HubSpot came out in 2006 or something. But anyway, in doing that, if you think about corporations and their websites, basically they were taking their brochures and putting them online. And then they'd say, well, nothing changed. This doesn't work. And so I started looking at our customers and their terrible content and started helping them redo it and rewrite it. I have a degree in English literature and I had run companies for years. And so I just started thinking about the customer and helping them redo their content. And so they started getting traction. And so by 2007, I had so many people asking me for help doing this that I jumped and became a consultant because I found out I could make a living writing and doing things that I love. And I was good at it. And then a friend of mine, Jill Conrath, recommended me to her book agent. My first book came out in 2009 and no looking back. So that's how it evolved and really just fell into helping them understand their buyers and write to them. And so it's just gone from there. And most of my clients, given the way I started into this, are tech companies because they were the ones in that software. And so that's where I built up a reputation first. But I've worked for a lot of different kinds of companies over the years. So it's been a long time. So in fact, I cringed the other day when somebody wrote about me as one of the B2B marketing 
pioneers. I was like, please let me go get my covered wagon out. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. If you're listening to me right now and you think I'm lying, just go on google.com and search marketing thought leaders. I think is the key keyword is marketing thought leaders or marketing influencers. Google has this immediate results feature that shows you like a nice little result on the top people. And I think it was like a list of top 20. Your name was there. So whatever they are saying is true. And I personally, I love, I pride in my work experience. I count every year like it's a birthday because like you said, you got to love what you do. And when you are in the process of pioneering stuff, it's not easy. It's almost like a lonely road. And you've had three decades in marketing. For context, I'm 34 years old. <laughs> so you have been there, done that. <laughs> so my goal in future is to also be able to look back. I'm halfway in into my experience and I'm able to look back and also look at the next generation of marketers and tell them where we've, what we've been through and where we are going, which is why we are here really to talk about what you see with buyer enablement and why this is not a new thing. We, we spoke off mic about people talking about this like it's a new thing. It's not. Now, one question I have is about your expertise in buyer personas, okay? With audience research, how do you see the future of that going forward in terms of how to approach data to look for and, and um, how to define a persona. I, we've spoken to Rand Fishkin, formerly of Morphs, owner owns Pactoro. So that's like an attempt in trying to improve that industry. But where do you see that going forward in, in future? Yeah, I built my whole career on building personas. I've built close to a thousand of them. And over the last couple of years, marketers have started saying buyer personas don't work. And what I find is because they don't, do the research. They sit in a room and talk about what they think they know about their buyers. And then they make assumptions and use that. And then it doesn't work. And so they say personas don't work. The scariest thing was Andy Crestadina. I don't know if you know who Andy is. Yeah, the morbid media. He called me the other day and he says, Artis, I'm using AI to create personas and I want your thoughts. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> you want one to know what I think. And so we had this conversation and he's written the blog post. It's on his blog, but he went through and showed me how he was using AI to generate personas. My biggest fear is that marketers will start doing this. And here's the reason why. And, and he included all of my dissenting comments throughout his blog post. But when you ask AI to talk about a particular kind of buyer, it will give you what it thinks. And my question, the biggest question I had about all of it is, but how do you know it's related to your buyers? Buyers who would be interested in buying your stuff. Like, for example, you can say a director of IT and a midsize company in manufacturing. Okay, great. But is that your buyer? Is it your customer? Is that where GPT is getting the knowledge from? right? And you don't know that. Where is the knowledge coming from? And so that is the biggest difference. So let's go back to, I've built like a thousand personas over all these years. And I have built, because a lot of my clients are tech, I have built a ton of IT personas. I have never built two director of IT personas that are the same. 
based on either what the client is selling or the type of industries they serve or the type of how they're going to market or whatever. But I have never told two that are the same. And so that's what scares me is if we have this tool now that very confidently will tell you all this stuff about whatever you ask it, but is it true? Is it true in relation to what you need? Where's the context coming from? And that's my biggest fear. And that's why my biggest thing that I go through again and again is you got to talk to your customers. You need to talk to them. Why did they find you compelling, your company, your products, your whatever problem it is you're solving and how you do it? Why was that compelling to them? And there's a big difference between what I hear when I have customer conversations with one type of person buying one product and one type of person buying another product. It varies. And so that's the fear. I think we just have to buckle down and do the work instead of saying, no, we need to get the campaign out the door. Do you want to get the campaign out the door that's ineffective? Or do you want to take a little bit of time and get a campaign out the door that creates revenue, right? Yeah. I like the last thing you said. You just want to get it out the door. There is no house cleaning, as I would call it. But what I also like about what you said is that you've had thousands of personas and none of them are the same. And that just goes back to human nature, right? And it's humans that buy whatever you want to buy. Human nature is so dynamic that even twins with the same DNA are different. And so it's important to always look at what your own context is. I'm always a big fan of 75% strategy and 25%, if I will use your language, let's get it out of the way or get it out of the door. Why is because you want to connect. You want to connect you to the customer. You want to give them enough empowerment and enough enablement to be able to do their jobs to be done, as they would call it, and then in turn, grow your own brand to where you want to go. Anyway, I've stopped ranting. Back to the topic. When it comes to buyer enablement, it's obvious to anyone listening now that customers are more involved in their own sales funnels with varying degrees of effects, but they are still involved. And so from your experience, we've seen a lot of things happen, right? We were in an age where it's about direct response. You need to get the lead at all costs. Let's get the numbers. Let's get people filling the form without any connection. And now we are getting into the B2B brand story perspective. And I'm asking here is that why is B2B or brand storytelling in general much more impactful or product story much more impactful to buyer enablement than just getting them at a lead at cost at first interaction? Okay, let's see if I can unpack that. So first thing I would say is that anybody who fills out a form is not a lead. I've been fighting this battle for, I don't know, over a decade, right? They just want the information. They're not saying, please have your salespeople chase me to death and whatever. And this is why it's up to, I think, 73% now buyers say, we don't want to talk to your salespeople. Keep them away from us. We just want to educate ourselves. And so part of the problem is that marketers, and still a lot of them, are basically responsible for getting that name, that contact information, tossing it over the wall to sales, and then saying, here you go, we generated a lead for you, when 95% of those people are not leads, right? And so now, with all the pushback, and if you look at the buyer research, ever since they started doing it, B2B buyers, they've been saying forever, 
stop pushing me, stop being so salesy, stop giving me biased content. 51% of the content vendors give me is useless, doesn't apply to me, all of that. And in fact, I read a research report the other day, came out from Cirque and Research, and it was one of the best I've ever seen because what it did was it highlighted what's important to marketers and how effective they are. And there's this huge gap, like a 57 percentage point gap between their ability to engage buyers and their need to engage them, right? So their priority is to engage them, but they're not doing that. And so they're happy with their content. And they essentially think that basically if they throw more promo at it, their engagement would come up. Only 19% of them are happy with the engagement they get from content. But that's not it. If people aren't engaging, it's not relevant, right? You miss the boat somewhere and you need to go pack and unpack. Why is that? So here's the thing though. It's not product storytelling. It's not brand storytelling, although that plays a role. But when we're talking revenue process, it's buyer storytelling, right? The buyer is the hero of the story. And so you need to create a story that buyers can drive, which is why I talk a lot about buyer driven, right? How do we put information out there that's relevant to them, that is simple for them to understand, that helps them with a job to be done, as you said, and helps them advance forward and then give them what's next. Okay, you learned this thing. Here's what comes next after that. How do we help them move through this process? And the problem that a lot of marketing programs have is they just do random acts of content. They throw it out there. The buyer reads it and he thinks, okay, this is interesting. What's next? Yeah, we don't tell them that. And then the next thing they hear from us is this total other different piece of content unrelated to this other thing they learned. There's no way for them to connect the dots. No pun intended. <laughs> no way for them to connect the dots and no way for them to continue down that trail of how do I get from problem to solution? And so we do ourselves a disservice. I've been on the bandwagon for years trying to get people to kick this idea of campaigns to the curb because the problem is a lot of my clients have nine-month buying cycles, right? It takes nine months. But they're going to run a campaign for a quarter, which is three months. So they get people all interested in this thing. And it's over. We're done now. We're going to talk about something else. But you just got them interested. They got six more months of stuff to slog through to get to all the information they need to get through this thing. But no, we're bored with our own selves. So we stop the campaign and then we decide, okay, what campaign should we run now? Leaving them out there to what? Go to your competitor for the rest of the story? So we're not thinking about this from our buyer's perspective. In fact, one of the things that drives me nuts is when companies say they're customer-centric, yet the customer never comes up in conversations about what campaign should we launch next, right? Yeah. And I guess one of the problems is, just in defense to marketers or marketing leaders, it's not that they don't want to be patient with regards to this. And I like your analogy of being the hero of the story. I just spoke to an influencer in the UK, Andrew Davis, who also mentioned this concept of being the hero of the story when you're connecting to your client. But I think sometimes it's just this desire to please shareholders. So the pressure is always coming from the top. Like it's three months. What do we have? There's pressure. So sometimes we don't market because we want to please the customer, which is our ultimate goal. But we want to please shareholders. A bit of a conspiracy theory statement here. But what do you think about that quickly? And feel free to disagree with me. No, I, I do agree. In fact, I was teaching a storytelling workshop last month. And one of 
the attendees in the workshop said to me, well, we're talking about storytelling from end to end. And she says, how in the world am I supposed to do that when my executive comes to me every week or two and says, what's the new thing we're putting out the door? And I thought about it for a minute because I thought, well, first of all, that's stupid. But I thought about it for a while, like, how can I help this person? And finally, I said to her, I said, here's the thing. They don't know your whole plan. And so you're going to produce different white papers or different things. So it doesn't mean it's not part of your story plan, right? So, oh, this week here, we're writing this new white paper, having this new webinar about X. They don't need to know that it's actually part of your story and you've got the strategy that you're sticking to. They just want to see the new shiny thing. So show them the new shiny thing, but your context is it's part of my story for the buyer, right? To help them work through their problem to solution process, but the executive gets their new shiny thing, right? So you make them happy. You make your buyer happy. You got to figure out how to play the game. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. My boss back then used to say, you give them the snacks before you give them the meal. So I completely agree with you. And she was a lady as well, which is why I like to work on that. Leaders are ladies because they are able to, to manage expectations and things like that. But again, diversity is beside the point. But yeah, if you're listening, it's really important to focus on the goal. And the goal here is no matter how long it takes, you need to win the customer because when you win them, they last for a very long time. And there are many KPIs out there, but for me, one of the most important KPIs is lifetime value. Lifetime value is very important, but don't forget that if we have to look at lifetime value in the context of, say, a marriage, for example, you are not just going to walk up to a lady or a guy or whatever it is and say you want to get married or whatever. It takes a time, even in friendships, it takes a time to build that friendship for that friendship to grow. It's the same thing with marketing as well. Adat, I like the way you mentioned in terms of initiatives and putting these things out of the door, launching campaigns and things like that. I would like you to talk a little bit more about that when it comes to prioritization. So when you are telling the complete story in the journey to telling that complete customer story, are there ways from your experience in which you have prioritized marketing campaigns and should we even prioritize them at all if we are trying to communicate the way we should? Well, there's a couple different ways to answer that. The way I generally tend to answer it is what's the business objective? What does a company need to achieve? And so, for example, I'm working for a client right now where they have three vertical industries they want to go after with ABM programs, but the company is the one who said we need to go after this vertical first. So, okay, we're going to plan that campaign first and then we'll roll into the others. So for me, it's always back to the business objective. And what is the business trying to achieve? In this particular company, they have experienced some revenue slowdown just because of the economy, right? And inflation and all that. They needed to restart revenue. And when they looked at the different verticals, this vertical was still the most active in the buying realm. And they felt like they could sell bigger solutions to this vertical. And so they chose that because they need to get the revenue engine restarted or supported. And so it all, for me, marketing has to feed into business objectives or we're just the cost center. We're the arts and fluff department, right? Which is when I started working in marketing, that's what it was. And now we actually 
improve, we contribute to revenue. And especially because buyers are managing their own, as you called it, sales funnel, right? Their own process. And they're not involving us. So how do we get our ideas in the room, right? How do we get them to focus on our product and brand? And it's that story, having them see themselves as a hero that will have them pull our ideas in. And then when they're talking with their internal stakeholders, right, the buying committee, they'll share those ideas, right? And so how do we, I spend a lot of time thinking about this, how do we get our ideas in the room so that they become the anchor thoughts that our buyers are using to evaluate what they're doing? And that way they keep coming back to us because we are helping them move forward and make sense of this mess it is to buy. Because remember, your buyers have a day job, man, they're busy. They're trying to do this in the least amount of time with the least amount of risk to themselves and their companies as possible. So how do we make that happen? And in my opinion, this is the best time ever to be a marketer because they don't want to talk to your salespeople. So guess what? What an opportunity for us. We can tell that story and orchestrate it all the way across and then not stop once they become a customer, but go all the way through customer success, as you talked about, building lifetime value. How do we keep that story going? How does it evolve as they change from buyer to customer, right? Then what happens? This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. I want to take a break here to compliment you in terms of your achievements. I would say of all the many guests that I've spoken to, it's you and Bert Rose that I think were part of the main pioneers of this concept of buyer enablement or demand generation. Now we have a couple of other new generation of influencers that uh, I'm still a rookie, so not me. New generation of marketers who are trying to turn this on its head and make it seem like it's new thinking with the concept of revenue engineering and the likes. But I like the fact that I also have the opportunity to speak to you about this again and help us break it down in the most basic uh, format possible. So I just wanted to say that before I forget. But moving on here, lifecycle marketing in general, I would like you to talk a little bit about that and how you've helped businesses. And again, your simplicity involved in all this. So what are some of the simple ideas that marketers can use in communicating to customers, communicating to prospects, helping them, empowering them to buy, and even after buying, expanding their potential to buy? What are some of the simple concepts or simple ideas that many marketers should be paying attention to from a tactical perspective? Well, quite frankly, the reason I build personas is because I want to understand the thought process, right? What are all the questions that your buyer had that they had to get answered in an understandable way for them to move through this process and convince others to get on board, right? Because there's a consensus thing. And so what I'm looking at is all the questions they have, how would you answer them? And when you've answered one question, your buyer's context changes, right? They have new information now and they've ingested that. And so now they turn around and they go, oh, that's really interesting. What about this? So if you know the questions they're going to ask, you can figure out your answers and then what they learned and then, oh, now they would ask this. And you can build this whole process. 
the thing that tricks up a lot of us as marketing is now expanding into customer success and that kind of thing is that the space shifts. Once your buyer becomes a customer, they've solved that problem, right? So the first half of the story is over. They solved the problem. They bought your thing. Okay, so now what? So now what are they solving? How do they get to value? How do they recognize value? And then what? How do they get everybody adopting the whatever it is they bought? How do they move forward? How do they find more value than they thought they were going to get when they bought it? And so the story context shifts a bit. And in B2B, a lot of times the original buyer is not the user, right? So you have to, you have new personas now, right? Different people involved and you have to understand them and then help that keep evolving. And so the thing for me is if you just boil it down to, given where they're at, what question would they be answering? How would I answer it? And then what did they learn? Okay, great. What's next? It could be that simple. If you understand them, and that's the biggest reason why I'm all over personas, and you don't have to call them that. It's personas basically for me, it's just a place to have all that information. It's a construct. What you need to do is understand what are those questions? What do they care about? Um, thinking about how to talk about all of this maybe a little differently since people are going a little sour on personas, which is why I started writing a lot about buyer-driven experiences and that kind of thing. And basically simplicity, right? Buyers are overwhelmed. There's too many moving parts. There's now all these people they have to convince. There's all this stuff going on. We need to figure out how do we simplify it, right? And then context. Their context shifts all the time. And we don't address that in our content. We just keep sending out content that's still talking to them like they never read the other piece, right? And so we aren't building our content to tell a story based on what they're learning from each time they engage with us. And so context is important. Relevance is critical. If it's not relevant, they're not going to read it. It's what I call drive-by views, where they show up, scan it, and go, no thanks, and move on. Well, then it's not relevant. So the thing that I find really interesting is in all the research I see, marketers are admitting they're not as successful as they want to be with content marketing. But when it comes to, okay, so what are your priorities? Like, how are you going to achieve these goals? Like they ask, what are your priorities? And then they say, what are the challenges in achieving those? Buyer research is down at the bottom of the list. They keep saying, well, we don't have enough time or resource or something else is affecting that. But yet most of them will admit or close to half will admit they don't know how to create content for the different buying stages. Well, that's because they don't know how buyers define the buying stage because they don't talk to them. They're not happy with the engagement their content gets, but they think they throw more promotional dollars at it that will change. But that's not the point. Nobody wants to read it. They're not going to read it just because you spend a bunch of money trying to promote it. And so I I just keep thinking, what is it going to take for marketers to sit back and say, we really need to make it a priority to understand our buyers, especially since they're pushing sales back to the end, right? We have this huge opportunity in the front, but if they're getting 75% of the way, or I read somewhere the other day, 90% of the way, through their buying process without talking to our salespeople, how much are we missing out on because we're not engaging them during that 90%. If our ideas and thoughts are not driving their thinking about this, they're not calling us. So now is when we step up, we have to do this. How, what a great opportunity. And since nobody else is doing it, imagine if you did it. 
what would it change for your company? Just watch what's happening. Things are going more and more digital. We went through the pandemic. Did everybody go back to the way things were before? No. And so we have to embrace that and say, okay, given this, what can we do to be even more effective? And it's not, we want to make it all all complex and say, we need to buy all this new technology. Heck, we only use about 40% of the capability and technology we already have. So let's go buy more. That'll solve it. No, it won't. So it comes back to the simplest things like how well do we know our buyers? How well able are we to engage them? And you would think with the growth in account-based marketing, focusing on accounts one-to-one, that we would spend time getting to understand our buyers, but we still don't. And so now we have intent data. So everybody thinks, oh, intent data, that's going to tell me exactly who's interested, right? So I can just go get them. You still have to engage them and not only attract their attention, but get them to stay with you. So you have to be relevant. You have to address their context. Then we look at personalization and we think, oh, we need to know that you wear Nikes and you have a dog and you live in the sub. No, you don't. I need to know that you care about solving this problem, why it matters to you and how this fits in your company. I don't need to know that you have two kids or drive a Volvo. I don't. And so marketers get themselves wrapped around the axle with all this stuff that just distracts them from getting to that key thing. And I think we just make it more difficult than we need to. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for what I call a, a big case for simplicity. I agree with you then on solving needs rather than looking at all these other demographics or febographics. And we also had Pam Digna here on this podcast speaking about sales enablement and account-based marketing. And I think the, the other problem is based on what you said. As we were speaking there, I heard you say, we just have to do this. Marketing is not magic. It's marketing. It's You mentioned it before as well. It's not a fluff. It's a real job or it's a real task that needs to be done to provide real impact. So if you are listening right now, keep things simple. But even in that process, to get the real job done is not going to be easy. Because something is simple does not mean it's easy, right? So it's important for us to get that, call it a motivational career talk, marketing career talk, if I will call it that way. Adat, you spoke about personalization and I agree on the distribution, so the simplicity behind that, but I also know you are an expert at marketing automation strategies and how to use that to distribute content across journeys and share of lives and jobs to be done and so on. Could you give us a little bit more about how you do that, how you advise clients on what they need to do to embrace the transformation around marketing automation and the kinds of marketing automation that you see have worked in the B2B space? Yeah, well, marketing automation seems like it should be simple, right? One of the things that my clients struggle with a lot is just being able to segment their database so that when they automate a program, it's going to the right people, the people that care about it, right? But the misnomer in all of this is that we look at marketing automation, we think, okay, we're going to slap this program together, we're going to set up the workflows and it go, and then it's going to run itself. Well, the problem with that is, how do you know? You know, what are people doing? Is what you envisioned happening? How are they engaging with it? I'm going through one of these right now with a client where we are digging through the data, trying to figure out, is there an email? 
in our workflow that is not performing up to stuff? Should we A-B test a different subject line? Are we getting the click-throughs? And we're at 40% click-through rate, which is pretty darn good. Well, I want 50 or 60. Sorry, we're going to get that. But what do you do with that? And so it's constantly tweaking and tuning things, A-B testing stuff. Is the content, okay, so the email is working now. What about the content? Is that engaging them? Are they just skimming it? Are they spending enough time to read it? Are they clicking on your what's next content, right? Are they continuing on this journey with you? Are they opening, let's say you have a 10 email series going out every two weeks. How many of them are opening every single one? Why not? Which ones are being opened and which ones aren't? Is Do you have something in the wrong place where all of a sudden you're seeing this gap where, oh, we didn't close the gap or ask them to leap too far. And people aren't going to give you that leap of faith unless you earn it. And so it's never a set it and forget it. You make your best guess and you do all your research and you put it all together and then you refine it over time. Now, I have clients that have been running what I call evergreen programs for the same program for like up to four years. And we just go out and update the content, update any research we've voted, whatever, tweak it, change titles, maybe change the hook at the beginning of the piece or whatever. We think that because it's been out there and if it's written well to be an evergreen piece instead of a, it's a Monday piece, today this happened, we think that everybody's seen it. So we need to create new stuff. Well, part of going back to that simplicity is create really solid content that builds that buyer story and then just keep optimizing it it should stay relevant as long as you keep it updated and you keep tweaking and tuning. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. We do this a lot. We run a campaign then we go, okay, what are we going to create next? Oh, let's make a webinar and let's create another white paper and let's do this other thing over here. And the why you've got all this content. And believe me, people will not remember. I don't remember what I got last week in my email. I've downloaded the same research report five times because I don't remember that I already downloaded it because it was a few months back, Right. But it's interest, the topic's interesting to me. So I go download it again. And then once I start looking at it, I go, oh, yeah, I have this already. And so we tend to overestimate. And I think part of the problem is we get bored with ourselves. We know the content inside and outside, right? Because we keep working on it. We say, oh, God, people have got to be just sick of this. Well, they're not you. They're not reading it every day. And so I think we can also simplify by being able to repurpose, reuse, update, and optimize things. And just work on getting that story right. And the reason I say that too is because if you're going to keep a program relevant over four years, think about what changes in four years. It doesn't mean you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The core of it is good if you've done your research, right? It's a core part of the story. But maybe something in the market has shifted and you need to add that in or what have you. So I just think automation is a great tool because I don't have to go out there and build a send every day. But it's something that you can't just set and forget. It's there to assist you. So you have time to go off and work on all your other stuff. And it produces great reporting for you. And it can you can set triggers based on intent data. You can do all kinds of things with it, which help you not have to be sitting right there watching all of this, doing all of those things. And I think that's what it's great for. But it is not going to replace thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's my strategy, too, in terms of the last points there. This episode would always be useful for as long as it can be, even in the age of singularity, I'm sure. 
that we will still have the concept of Bionic happening. That's just because the way automation works in customer segmentation, there will be people that are coming in and out of that market segment or segmentation rule or whatever it is. There are people coming in and out of those stages, in and out of those intersections or stops. And we're also at a point in time where we're seeing generational changes, right? Millennials Mm -hmm. are becoming buyers now and they have a whole different approach to how they want to be engaged. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You've talked a lot about things that connect to what I call the sales handoff. And we also do agree that this is a two-way loop. It's not a one-way street, as it were, when you're working with sales or working within what I call a commercial team to build a great or an effective brand stories. Now, I would like to talk about how you see the data analytics and how you advise clients to embrace, I guess, the valid qualitative insights when it comes to you. Again, you've mentioned a bit about that with how you use that in automation. I think that's a very good use use case. But in other, you know, use cases when you are communicating the brand story to the customer, how have you seen businesses execute this well in terms of how they approach the data in a very efficient way and are able to apply that data to improve their communication or what have you? What are some of the other examples aside from marketing automation that you've seen? Well, there are so many different sources of data. And so, and you mentioned qualitative data. So there's qualitative and quantitative, right? And so there's combination. One of the things that I think is really important is that qualitative would be a collaboration with sales, right? Going to them and saying, what's working for you? What content are you sharing with your buyers? And how are you carrying on the story that we started? And are the tips and recommendations for content useful to you and all of those kinds of things. And then going back and looking at data from everything from intent data to how long is the sales cycle taking? How often are we touching people? Does more often touching them move them faster or does it send them away? And there's all kinds of different ways to look at the data. And one of the things I think where marketing falls down is we tend to look at vanity metrics because they make us feel good. Oh, look, 9 million open our email, but only 20 clicked. And so we focus on the how many opened and not how many clicked when the click is what's the important thing there. But I think we just need to really look at it from how are we building engagement? Are we building it long enough to get people through the pipe? Are we accelerating the time it takes them to get through that process? and get to the point where they're ready to talk to sales. Are they buying faster? You have to benchmark yourself and then you have to try to improve on that. But it takes a lot of analysis. In fact, one of my clients just recently hired a full-time data analyst to work with the team I'm working with so that we can get all of the data and get it processed so that we can see the insights and use them. A lot of times marketers don't even know what to look for when we're looking at the data because we're not data analysts, right? And so we tend to stay with those vanity numbers and what have you. But there's lots of ways to tie the different numbers together when we're looking at how can we impact not only getting people into the process, but speeding how they move through the process. And so what's different for everybody, it depends on what tools you have and those kinds of things. But I think what we need to do is start looking at How does a metric that we look at feed into our final objective? 
not getting better or worse? What's making it better? What caused a better response? Just like when I talk about optimizing our content in, in a marketing automation program or something. So I, I love data. I'm a data hound. I drive people crazy with data, asking questions. We need to really improve our ability to use it. I think that's why I'm seeing a lot of, they're saying data analyst is a marketing role that's growing, right? Our marketing ops team is growing because we have so much technology now. We need to use the data. We need to hook everything together. The other thing that drives me nuts is when I have to go to 18 different databases and then I have this disgusting spreadsheet where I'm trying to wrangle it all together with Tableau and other tools like that. There's no reason I have to do that. Or my marketing automation system tells me different analytics than Salesforce tells me, or... Tell me about it. It's Again, marketing is not easy. If hiring is the way to go, I think it's important to just get it right when it comes to coaching through the noise of marketing interactions and what to do with the insights that come with it. Something else that Adat mentioned is if you've listened to at least three episodes of this podcast, you will know that we are all for um, interacting with other members of your commercial team. So... A successful marketer cannot work on his own or her own any longer. There is no one lane system anymore. You have to interact with all the relevant stakeholders within, like I've said before, the committee to make sure you get the right results when it comes to enabling your buyer to buy from you. The last thing is similar to that, Adat, and that is I've been thinking, is it necessary for marketers to train sales teams or customer service teams on or IT teams on maybe how their marketing works or things that they should know so that those guys could be better useful to marketers when it comes to providing qualitative feedback. Do you think that's a thing? Sorry, but marketers are at the bottom of the totem pole on this list. And I think if we went to sales and said, we want to train you, It would not be pretty. Here's the thing. I've been a marketer for a long time. And this conversation about sales and marketing alignment has been going on since before I became a marketer. It's one of those things where we are incented in different ways. Sales is short-term focus. They got to close deals this month or this quarter. We are looking down the pipe at what are we going to, you know, drive in the next year or five years type of thing because brand is a you know living breathing organism that goes on forever and so we're both looking at it a little bit differently and then of course somebody pulls a lever and says okay we need more leads in the pipeline right now go generate them and so that becomes more form fills which isn't really leads and then your sales team hates you even more i did a vp of marketing job for a year during COVID for one of my clients who was reorganizing And the thing that helped the sales team the most was when we put together, here's the story we're telling this persona and here's cheat sheets, like cliff notes on each of the pieces of content. If they ask you these kinds of questions, this piece of content would be a great thing to send them. Or if they read this piece of content, this next piece of content is what you send them. And we, so we put it all together so they could understand the story we were telling in the marketplace so that they could continue it instead of what usually happens, which is when sales gets involved, they say, so tell me about yourself. And they're like, if you've ever been through a customer service call, you know this. 
tell me your name again. And you just told it to the IVR, right? What's your address? You just told that to them. And then they say, oh, we got to transfer you to somebody else. And they start over again. And so that's what happens when marketing sends leads to sales. Sales starts like it's day one, right? But the lead and a lot of my clients has been engaged with us for six months and they've read a boatload of content and sales doesn't even approach it that way. They just say, well, tell me what you're interested in. Well, heck, go look at what they've done. You'd know. And so the biggest thing for me is how do we coordinate that? And there was a research that Forrester did and they came back and they said 72% of buyers, B2B buyers say that sales needs to continue the story that marketing started, right? Because they already know all this other stuff. It's like having to restate all your stuff to a customer service rep. When you get transferred, it's irritating and a pain in the butt. And so we need to all be on the same page. And the thing about it is it used to be we'd generate the lead and then we'd hand it to sales and we're done and we're off looking for the next one. Well, now we got to stick through this process all the way through. So if we're not all telling the same story, but yet that buyer has been engaged with us for six months, do we look like idiots when we start talking to them? And so then they start thinking, is this what it's going to be like to work with them? Oh my God, what if I have to call support? Do I really want to be there? I mean, think about it this way. The experience they have buying from you sets their expectations for the experience they will have being your customer. How badly do we want to screw that up? And what I found when I was doing that VP role was the more information I could give sales to help them understand what was going on with the buyers they were now going to engage with, the better off they were and the happier they were, the faster they closed deals. And the more they came back to us saying, could we get some of this now? We get some of that now. And because it was working for them. And so it really has to be about helping each other. But here's the other thing that I learned. They don't want a deep dive. Give it to them really simply. So for example, we had 10 slide personas that turned into one slide personas with the most pertinent information on that one slide for sales they are not going to read your 10 slide deck or whatever it is, right? And so one sheet, cheat sheets, you've got to keep it simple for them to easily assimilate that information and then use it. Make sure it's all usable. Don't give them any other stuff because then that just stop using everything. Similar for customer success too. What story should they be telling as they're onboarding your customers and moving them forward, right? What needs to happen? You can't just show up 90 days before renewal and say, hey, remember me? We want you to sign up for the next year, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. This is lots of great stuff in terms of best practices, not just with interacting with other members of commercial teams, but also just keeping a very simple yet effective strategy that cuts across the entire customer buying journey. So that's really great. Thank you so much for all the wisdom that you've shared. So much wisdom. If you are listening, there are a lot of things that have been said there that I think will be a great learning point. And I would like us to take that forward and succeed with it. So I know a lot of people already know you at that, but there might be some who don't. Where can those people learn more about you and your book as well? Right. Well, my website is marketinginteractions.com. My book is um, on the site as well. And you can always find me on LinkedIn at Art of Albi. And yeah, please reach out if you have questions. Yeah, absolutely. That's all we have for today, guys. Please see more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com. 
And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.